Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to the book of Genesis, and we are going to look in Genesis chapter 11 this morning as we find ourselves looking at a topic that every single one of us in here deals with. And um, you can lie to yourself and say, you know what, I don't deal with it, but uh, the person next to you needs to just tell you, you're wrong, you do. And um, for all of us, deal with pride. The people in Genesis chapter 11 dealt with it, and they dealt with it wrongly. But uh, we're going to look and see the actions that they did, and then we're also going to see the actions that the Lord did. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, down through verse 9, states these words. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray, continue to pray a prayer that I have already spoken to you this morning. Father, it's easy, halfway easy at that, to put words together, to form points, and to have a message. But Father, only you can bring power and life to that message. Father, I'm I'm going to say, you know what I'm going to say already. You know the points, you know the, the substance. But Father, I pray that you would move. And that you would speak. That you would allow our ears to open and to hear and to listen spiritually. Father, you would allow our eyes to open And see your word, your works, your action around us. That we might praise you even more. 
God, would you speak this morning from your word to our hearts during this time, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. You, you might have heard of this story. You might have heard it before. But I heard a story this week about a little boy who was in the backyard, and as he was in the backyard, he had with him a, a baseball, and, and he had with him a bat. And he was overheard saying these words, I am the greatest hitter in all the world. He threw the ball up, grabbed two hands on the bat, and swung with all of his might, and the ball, as it fell, hit the ground. Strike one. He says to himself again, I am the greatest hitter in all the world. Takes the ball, tosses it up again, swings even harder, and whiff. Somewhat disgusted with himself because he's now got two strikes. He mutters something to himself, spits on his hands, rings the bat again, tosses the ball up in the air. Here it comes down and he swings. Ball hits the ground. Picks up the ball, puts the bat on his shoulder. He says, well, all means, I am the greatest pitcher in all the world. We are an overconfident species, aren't we? We are. As, as Americans, we are confident. I read a couple of statistics and um, listened to a couple of things this week that uh, kind of speak to that. One columnist uh, by the name of David Brooks who writes in, uh, in the New York Times calls this overconfidence the magnification of the self. He put together a, a number of pollsters, a number of statistics, a number of things, and he wrote a couple of articles on it um, here lately, in the last year or so. It's, let me read a couple of those things before we get into or get back into Genesis 11. When pollsters ask people around the world to rate themselves on different traits, Americans rate themselves rather high on self-traits. Although Americans rank between 17th and 24th in total math skills globally, when asked, Americans rate themselves rather high in math. They think that they are better than that, what the test scores state. Americans feel good about their math, although they are not doing good with it. 70% of high school students surveyed stated that they have above leadership, above average leadership skills. And only 2% stated that they were below average. Brooks goes on and he writes about pop singers. Pop singers just a few decades ago would never sing about their own greatness, while today they are, they are song, their songs lead the charts. Just 12% of graduating high school seniors in the 1950s thought themselves as important, but in 2005, over 80% 
thought that. Guys, we are especially susceptible to this. We, guys, men, American males, are two times as likely to unintentionally drown as women. Especially when we have found ourselves like Noah did a couple of weeks ago when he was drunk. Schumacher and Russo, two scientists, did a survey of leading industry executives. And they asked them about their own industries. And then asked them how confident they were about getting the questions correct. In the advertising industry, they were confident that they got 80% of the answers correct. Now, understand this. Here's... They got all. They got leading advertising agencies, CEOs, and executives in a room, and they asked them about advertising, their field. And they said, yeah, we're confident 80% of our questions are right. They got 60% of their questions wrong. In their field, that they are the leading experts of, 60% wrong. The worst was the computer industry. They thought that they would be, they were 95% confident that their answers were correct, and they got 80% of their answers wrong. Today, I want us to look at the issue of pride in the life of man. Here's what the Bible says about pride. You'll see the verses on the screen. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it states this When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble, is wisdom. Chapter 16, verse 8 of Proverbs says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23 states, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And Jesus stated it this way in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I was at a conference one time, and Adrian Rogers stated it this way. He said, uh, Pride is the first sin that ever came about, and all sin today can be whittled down to pride. Chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we see the pride of mankind come to the forefront. Chapter 11 is the cause of what actually takes place, recorded that is, in chapter 10. If you go back and look in chapter 10, there is a huge genealogy. There are the sons of Ham, there are the sons of Japheth, and there are the sons of Shem, and their genealogies are recorded in Genesis chapter 10. We looked at a genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. We showed you, I showed you as we look through it and as we preach through it, hey, here's how you would preach through a genealogy and what you need to look at, where it it uh, speaks double, or it says something with emphasis, and it speaks of it on multiple occasions, you need to pick that out. That is some meat. Hang on to that. The same could be said in Genesis chapter 10, but in Genesis chapter 10, we see that God disperses the nations. We see that He disperses the genealogies of Ham, of Japheth, and of Shem. And they are to fill the earth. 
Genesis chapter 11 is the effect of that cause. The effect is what happens at Babel. I don't know if you've ever found yourself here, but I've had the opportunity on numerous occasions to be in a different land, to be in a different country, or for that matter, to be in a different county in Mississippi, but to have a language barrier. I meant to say that first. There is no worse feeling in the world to find yourself in a different country and everybody around you speaking and you do not understand what is going on. My sister, maybe she won't get this podcast, but my sister this week found herself in Beijing, China. And um, she was one that uh, she was one of the business administrators in Indianapolis that put in the new airport, and they brought her to Beijing, China. They're doing a new airport there, and she had a symposium where she let out in a number of talks there. And so she found herself there, and she had some free time. So her and one of her colleagues said, "We want to go old school. We want to get in a rickshaw, and we want to go to the Forbidden City." And they did. They left behind their English translator and they said, you just tell the dude where we're going, give him enough money and he'll bring us back. And so the translator did that. So they get to Forbidden City and everything is fine. And then after about an hour, hour and a half, they say, all right, let's go back. And he starts riding them back. And this is, she's retelling this in an email that I got yesterday. She said about halfway back, he makes a phone call. They don't think anything about it. They can't understand anything that he's saying. And then he makes a turn. Then he makes another turn. And the alleys are getting narrower and narrower. To the point that he stops in the middle of the alley and says, We're back! Two guys come out of the shadows and start to be abrupt and say, More money. More money. The colleague that she is with, my sister is with, pulls out his wallet. Bad idea. Gives him a 20. More money. My sister runs. She starts yelling. She starts grabbing people, she says. And finally, this older gentleman, she grabs as she goes around the corner. She grabs him. Others are coming. And the situation is dispersed. Language barrier. The first time I ever went out of the country, Paige and I were on our honeymoon, and we were trying to get back on the plane to come back to America. And we were in Mexico, and uh, the, the person there was like, you've got to pay something. And I was like, no, Espanol. No, Espanol. I forgot to say habla, because I can't speak Spanish. It's the worst feeling in the world. And here we see this come about. Two points this morning for us in our time 
Genesis chapter 11. The first is this. We see pride begins to take shape in the lives of mankind. Pride begins to take shape in the lives of people. God stated to Noah and to Noah's sons and to Noah's wife and to their wives, the sons' wives, that they were in Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Spread out, fill the earth. But in Genesis chapter 11, there was a group of people In verse number 2, as the people migrated from the east, where did they come from? Well, here's where they came from. You you look on a map, present-day kind of Turkey, and in that area is what it would be looked at as Mount Ararat, and that is where the ark, we don't know for certain exactly, hey, here's the one mountaintop that it hit, but here's where it is in this region from that point, they've started moving east. And when they started moving east, Genesis chapter 11, verse 2 states that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Pride begins to take shape in the lives of the people. Now, here is the first time that one might find the word Shinar in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11. But if you were to continue reading the Old Testament, if you were to continue reading through those books of the Old Testament, there is a specific spot, a specific book, a specific people that would come from this place. Let's look. Let's go back just one second. And let's look at Genesis chapter 10. And let me read a couple of verses in In Genesis chapter 10, it states this. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabtika. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, Dedan, Cush, fathered Nimrod. There's a name. You're a Nimrod. You You know what you're saying when you say, hey, you're just a Nimrod? You are a rebellious person. Speaking some blessings, amen? No, not really. Nimrod. Nimrod was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Eric, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. For you historians and history buffs, you would know that in 722 B.C., there was a group from Assyria that raided Israel, the northern kingdom, and took over, took them into captivity. In 722, Nimrod was the forefather of Assyria. In 586, there was this group of people from the land of Shinar 
from Babylon, from the city of Babel. Nebuchadnezzar came and took Israel. These things, as you read Old Testament, as you read God's Word, you see all of these things are connected. Nimrod was a mighty man. When you read it the first time, you think, well, what's so bad about being a great hunter? Literally means that he was a tyrant king, a rebellious person against Almighty God. They disobeyed and pride set in. And they said, let's build instead of filling the earth. Pride, no matter what the century is, no matter what the person, no matter what the situation, it is an emotion, it is a choice, it is sin that settles in and it tears up. This past week I was reading in Daniel chapter 4. Maybe you remember the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. It's the second dream that he had. And in that dream, there was this tree, and the tree filled the earth, and all of its fruit was there, and there were blossoms, and it reached up to heaven. And then there was one holy man who came out of heaven, and he chopped down the tree, and he wrapped chains around the stump and the roots. And he said, for a period of seven periods of time, this will be chopped down. And at the end of chapter 4, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're that tree. Babylon is that tree and your reign is that tree and it has flourished over the whole earth, but I'm telling you that your um, reign will come to an end for a period of time and you will be li- you will live like the beast of the field and you will have long hair and your nails will grow and you will have the dew like there is dew on the grass. It will be on your back for a period of time. Please pray that it would not come about. The scripture states in verse 29 of Daniel chapter 4 that at the end of 12 months, at the end of a year, Nebuchadnezzar is up looking out over Babylon and he says, oh, what great city that I have created. What great city and great empire that I have done and I have built. And before he finished the sentence, God in heaven spoke and said, you will be driven. And he was driven out and he was a beast, lived like a beast and ate with the beast and lived in the fields where the beast lived for a period of time. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Pride set in with Nimrod and the sons of Ham. Pride is so easily taken in. And yet it's it's often taken in where it's unseen. It's often taken in by the individual. And we don't even think about it. We don't even acknowledge it. The question is, for you and the question for me is this, what's in your life today 
that God has said, just like he said in Genesis chapter 11, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And you are saying, you know what? I think I'm just going to find a plain in Shinar, and I'm going to build a city, and I'm going to build a tower. I'm going to defy God. What has he said to you this morning? What's, what's he said today? What's he said this past week? What's he said this year to you that you will not give up? You will not partake in? You will not obey? Pride is sin. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves just like Cain when God said to Cain, be careful, sin is crouching at your door. Pride in a person takes responsibility for things that aren't true. Pride pushes self, or it makes self important as we saw in Genesis chapter 11 verse 4. Pride stretches the truth, pride dethrones God in our hearts, pride screams disobedience, it screams defiance. God hates pride. Yet we as Americans are a proud people. One of the things that I liked about learning about the Afar people, they are a proud people. They kind of resonate with us. We are a proud people. Don't do it for us. We can do it for ourselves. Do you have a question or a problem? Do you have a problem with pride? Husbands, maybe you need to ask your wives. Wives, maybe you need to ask your husbands. Maybe you need to ask your best friend. Maybe you need to ask your boss. But ultimately, you and I need to ask God, Lord, do we have a problem with pride? And then, be willing to sit quietly and allow Him to show you all the different places, show me all the different places in our lives where pride is located. These people had a problem with pride, but then not only do we see that these people had a problem with pride, but we see there is a response from heaven. God responds in verse number 5 down through verse number 9. His response to man's pride comes. God says in verse 5, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all, all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God sees what's going on. They weren't alone there on the plain of Shinar. They, they weren't alone as they were gathering together to build that city. They weren't alone to build that tower which we call or we think that it's called a ziggurat that uh, has a wide base and it's probably like a pyramid straight uh, shaped structure where it's wider at the base and it goes up to a tower that most of those ziggurats would have a temple on the top of it a place for worship they weren't alone there they were prideful saying hey we will reach up to heaven we don't need God we don't need Yahweh we don't need any of his commands we can do it on our own and God sees what's going on and what you and I need to understand today he sees what's going on today he sees what's going on in your life 
He sees what's going on around you. He sees what's going on in this country, in this nation, and we think that there's utter chaos going on, and he sees every little aspect and every little detail of it, and we say, how in the world is there a God? We need to understand also that in Genesis chapter 11, not only did he see it, but he acted. And in 2013, in America, in Hernando, in your life and in my life, he not only sees what goes on, but he acts. God sees what goes on. God acts. He's not a God who sits on the sidelines and says, you know what, that... almost called myself a Nimrod. (laughs) Honestly, a lot of days I am. I am rebellious toward Him. And if we were honest to each other, we would be Nimrods as well. But let's just call me a knucklehead. You see that knucklehead Brian over there? If he would just get a clue... He would see, this is what I have for him. If he would just go about his day and he would obey what I have for him to do, he would see all the benefits and all the blessings. But no, he's so thick-skulled. He's such a Tillman, I tell you. Maybe he says the same thing about you. God desires for man. He desires for you. He desires for me. To obey him. We are a driven people. Uh, being a proud people, we are a driven people. We, we uh, get our shoestrings, our bootstraps, and we just tie them tighter and let's keep going. And what we look for and what we are searching for is success. And we are driven by this as a nation, as a, as a people, as individuals, that's what we are driven by. We're driven by numbers. We're driven by, oh, I can do this a little better or a little faster, a little less effort. And God says, you know what success is from my point of view? You obey. It's not numbers. It's not growing a bigger church. It's not having um, a more healthier diet. It is obedience. God seeks for you and He seeks for me to obey. Bruce Wilkerson stated it this way, When a person will not obey willingly, often God will bring about circumstances that will make them obey unwillingly. Think about the last year in your life. Think about the last decade in your life. I remember sitting in, a, uh, in an apartment one, one night. Paige had a wreck, and I've told you this, but I, I promise every trial I go through, when it clicks, and I'm like, all right, Lord, you're, you've got me at this situation. You've got me at this point. Here's what I said. I said, Lord, I don't want you to take us out of the trial. Paige was at the time, she was in a coma. She'd been there for seven weeks, and... Um, didn't know if she was going to make it or not. She was doing a little better um, coming out of it, but uh, open heart surgery, brain aneurysm is bad from a car wreck. And here's my prayer. Lord, whatever you want me to learn in this trial, teach me so I don't have to go through another trial like this one of this magnitude to learn what you wanted me to learn this time. Whether the trial is small or the trial is Mount Everest, 
learn in that trial what God wants you to learn. So you don't have to go through it again. Because if you don't, if I don't, we'll go through it again. And we'll be thick-skulled, and we'll be knuckleheads, nimrods, whatever you want to call it. But he will teach you because God is active. God's plans will not be thwarted. God's plans to fill the earth, to multiply it, and for them to dwell in the entire earth was not thwarted by Babel, by Nimrod, by Ham's descendants. He told them to do it, and he wanted them to do it willingly. They would not, so unwillingly, that's what took place. What you and I must understand today is this, that Egypt will not thwart God's plans. The Muslim Brotherhood will not thwart God's plans. Al-Qaeda will not thwart God's plans. Obama, Allah, China, Satan, you, me, nobody, nothing will thwart God's ultimate plans. His plans are sure. As we come to a time of invitation, a couple of questions for you and for me. Do you see God working around you? Do you see him working around you? Or do you find yourself like I do sometimes that I'm just so busy? Or maybe I'm just too callous. I'm just too callous to see him. He's working. I I know in my mind that he's working, but I'm just too callous to see him at work because I haven't been spending any time with him in his word. I haven't been spending any time with him on my knees. I haven't been praying. I haven't been lifting people up. I haven't been asking him to show me him working and his work around me. He is at work and he desires for you and he desires for me to trust him and to obey. So here's the question. What are the areas in your life today? What area is it that needs to be placed at the cross? Because it's full of pride. What he has stated. Maybe it's, it's a passage that you read last week, last month. Maybe it's that you, you turned on the radio and uh, you were listening to K-Love or you turned on the CD and there was a song that was praising his name. Maybe in the midst of that song, maybe in the midst of of a verse, maybe in the midst of a conversation with a friend, he spoke and said, you know what, I really want you to go talk to him. Don't talk to him about, don't talk to him about football, don't talk to him about hunting, don't talk to her about dresses, don't talk to her about shoes, don't talk to her about makeup, don't talk to her about your grandkids, talk to her, talk to him about me. Lord, I just don't know how he'll take it. Talk to him about me. Because you know he's at work in his life. He's at work in her life. It is prideful for you and me to think we know more than God. God, you, you just don't understand them. He created them. God, you don't know how they'll look at me. How will they look at him? Trust him. Obey. Whatever he has asked you to do, 
obey. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, I um, I thank you for passages that hit me. That hit me on Monday, that hit me on Thursday afternoon at 4.30. Father, I pray for the opportunity to speak your name. Father, to a man that lives in my neighborhood that I know needs to hear about you. Been diagnosed with a terminal disease. I pray, Father, that you would give me an opening. And Father, I would obey when we talk this week. Father, we are a prideful people. Father, would you show us that there is no possible way for us as individuals, for me as an individual, to pay the price that is necessary for our salvation. That it only comes from you and it only comes from your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, for most of us here, we've heard about you and we've heard about your Son. Father, I would not be naive to believe that every single one of us here knows you personally, knows you as Savior, knows you as Lord. We know about you. We have facts. We've even possibly even prayed to you, but we haven't surrendered our lives to you. Father, would you open our eyes and allow us to see that one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And if that's when we do it, at that moment that we will spend eternity away from you. God, put it in our hearts today for those that don't know you. Put it in their hearts, Lord, that they would do it today. They would bow the knee. Physically, they they would do that. Physically, they would... Confess with their mouth that you are Lord. And they would surrender their lives to you. God, show us where we are prideful. And might we seek your forgiveness. The invitation is open for you, sir. You need to hear about Jesus. Let me introduce him to you. The invitation is open for you, ma'am. The altar is open if you need to come and bow the knee and just... Say, Lord, I am so prideful in this area. Might we obey as we stand and as we sing.